This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. April is coming to a close and we enter my favorite month, which is May, the month which includes Mother's Day. Every mother worries about her children and strives to guide them through each step in development as they face life issues and relationships. Little children all react differently to sleep training, potty training, and some struggle with separation anxiety. School children and teens may face bullying or have to deal with loss. Learning coping skills can help a child manage feelings of anxiety and can help families communicate and interact better. Our guest today is Dr. Katie Lockwood, and our topic is, when is it time to take your child to a psychologist? Katie, we're always happy to have you as a guest. Um, For our listeners, Dr. Lockwood is an attending pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Primary Care in Flowertown. She's a clinical associate professor of pediatrics at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Penn. She's also the Distinguished Endowed Chair in the Department of Pediatrics as the Director of Behavioral Health Education in CHOP's Pediatric Residency Program. Lots of leadership positions. She has a master's in education, which makes her even more scholarly. But the most important and the coolest part of Katie is her history as a graduate of Jefferson Medical College. Yay! We share the same heritage there. Welcome back, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun. Well, Katie, my husband and I have three grown children, and I remember every step of the way with potty training, some fussy eating, but it's very interesting now to relive those experiences through the eyes of a grandmother, or as I'm called, granny, as in Granny Clampett. (laughs) Uh, I have a four-year-old grandson, two two two-year-old grandchildren, and a one-week-old granddaughter, so Let's spend the first part of the show focused on these little ones. When is it helpful to reach out for the help of a psychologist with little children? Well, you brought up so many good points that parenting is hard and there are many challenges at all ages. And right from the get-go, you've named many that parents face. And while they might seem like normal child behaviors, like 
having tantrums as a toddler or having trouble sleeping or learning how to potty train, there can be times when children are more resistant to these or their behaviors go above and beyond what you might typically expect for children of their age. And so this is a place where psychologists can get involved with little children. I think this is really important because many people think of a psychologist as someone who talks about problems or sees children for a specific mental health diagnosis and typically envisions an older child or a teenager, even an adult talking to a psychologist. But in young children, psychologists can help parents learn how to manage some of these common challenging behaviors that kids have. And in this case, they're really working with the parent more because obviously the child doesn't know why they're having these troubles. They, they can't talk it out yet, but we can work with parents. And so psychologists would work with the parent to give them the skills that they need that might not be coming naturally to them and really require that specialist input to guide them. So that brings two questions to mind. Do you think there are parents who resist the suggestion to see a psychologist because they, they think there's a stigma attached? I think Is that, that sometimes the case? Yeah, unfortunately, I think there still is a lot of stigma about anything related to mental health. And so when you mention a psychologist for you know, a two or three-year-old child, parents sometimes are worried, like, well, you think there's something wrong with my child? And I don't want this on their record. I hear that a lot, as if we're keeping some sort of tally about who does what. But I think that um, really demystifying this and thinking of it as, you know, someone who has parenting expertise and child development expertise who can really help work through some of these behaviors to decrease those frustrating struggles that all parents face at different times can just be such an asset. And so I would hate people to miss out on that opportunity and to continue to struggle with some of these behavioral issues just because they're worried about the, the title psychologist. And so I want people to really um, break that stigma and try to get past that and recognize that this could be something that's just a temporary, you know, maybe a few sessions type of visit to help them overcome something that really can create a lot of tension in families. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you mentioned, a behavioral issue could be transient. Maybe mm -hmm. a family has moved or maybe mom brings a new baby home or whatever it is. It distracts the older child or distracts one of the children uh, from that pattern. They were doing well with potty training or going to bed on time. And I guess then if they do see a psychologist, it helps for the parent to be at the session so they, the, the uh, psychologist can see how the child interacts with mom or dad or caregiver, yes? Right, yeah. So for young children, parents are always involved in the therapy. And, and sometimes therapists will do sessions with just the parent and not the child because some of this is really related to how the parent is managing these issues. And as you mentioned, some of these concerns can be transient things like grief, loss of a grandparent or loss of a parent, which we saw a lot during the COVID pandemic is we had a lot of children who lost one mm. parent or both parents and were grieving oh. that. There could be children who are in the foster care system um, or children whose parents got divorced. And again, they may need um, counseling with a psychologist for a brief period of time during some of these transitions in their lives doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be doing therapy forever just because they started at a young age. So I right. don't want people to think that 
a child who sees a psychologist at a young age is any worse in terms of their um, diagnosis or how severe their symptoms are. It's just that that's when those issues are coming up for that child. So it's not a sign necessarily that something is more serious than a child who starts at an older age or an adult. Right. It's just a different type of um, concern. And it doesn't mean that the child has mental illness. It means that they're right. facing a challenge that other children their age might not. Um, how about children that are facing a chronic illness or are in chronic pain? I would think that they certainly would be followed by a psychologist or a therapist of some sort, yes? Definitely. And this is such an important point to think about. When we look at conditions that have a high rate of comorbidity or having a mental health diagnosis with their medical diagnosis, things like lupus, asthma, um, mm. IBD, sickle cell are all really common to have comorbid mental health concerns, but also just coping with having the illness. So even if you don't have a diagnosis necessarily of anxiety or depression, you still may be just dealing with the fact that the diagnosis that you have, this chronic illness or chronic pain, requires you to do things differently than other kids. And that can be really hard. Kids don't like to feel like they're different or stand out in any way. Maybe if you have food allergies and you can't eat the same food as everyone else at a birthday party, that can cause a lot of distress. And so psychologists can be helpful for some of these cases. And that's why at CHOP, we have psychologists embedded in many of our specialty clinics. In fact, I just saw a child, Marianne, recently who had a diagnosis of depression that started after she had a concussion. And we see this a lot with kids who oh. are athletes and they're used to playing sports and they become very depressed when they can't do that. And while this patient was seeing some of the physicians in our Minds Matter sports medicine clinic, it became harder to tease apart what was post-concussive and what was depression. And then there's also interplay between these symptoms that makes managing her post-concussive symptoms more complicated. So for patients like this one, psychologists play a really critical role in helping children manage that mind-body connection. And in some, um, in some clinics, as I mentioned, like chronic diseases like sickle cell or IBD, again, these children in particular might be higher risk for diagnoses like depression or anxiety. And so the psychologists who are embedded there can also look out for early signs of those um, conditions in patients who have that underlying predisposition. Because they know to project that this is a possible result right. of the concussion and being taken away. That That's their identity. I'm a really good soccer player or field mm -hmm. hockey. I skipped yep. over a little bit uh, children who are fussy about uh, food and no, I don't want to eat this or whatever. I lived through mm -hmm. it myself. Our, our oldest of three has um, an anaphylactic reactions to certain foods. And it started, I think he was about six years old. And we were visiting my mother and father-in-law. And my mother-in-law put out this uh, dish of macadamia nuts. And I said, oh, here, honey, you'll love that. They're so sweet. You'll love these nuts. And he ate a couple. And he's sitting there coloring. I noticed he's itching every part of his body. I thought, oh, holy Toledo. <laughs> Luckily, it stopped there. But the next time he's exposed to, uh, well, I know he never had them again. But eventually, he developed life-threatening um, allergies to other foods. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, he got to be about 15. And um, I said, oh, look at these bananas. He said, mom, I've never liked bananas because they made my ears itch. He mm. didn't think to tell me that. He would just say, they're yucky. Right. So I think too, especially with food, 
I know you as pediatricians, but parents should keep in mind, it's not always because they're being difficult, but mm-hmm. maybe they have celiac and certain mm-hmm. foods give them the rumbles. They just can't yeah. tell you. So as a GI right. doc, I've seen a lot of people in their teens or 20s that say, uh, you know, they have this or that condition and we find mm-hmm. that it's celiac or f- allergies to foods. So I know mm-hmm. you play very closely with uh uh, allergies and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And that's where there's a lot of interplay, right? So sometimes like in, in the case that you just gave a child with a food allergy may look like they're anxious. And also a child who has a food allergy may become anxious. If you have yes. a lot of food allergies, places like birthday parties and restaurants and school cafeterias even can be really dangerous for you. And so that can create anxiety. We've also seen at CHOP some children who are getting oral immunotherapy for their allergies, which is great, right? We've come so far in treating food allergies Mm. for kids, but the idea of eating their allergen that they've been told to avoid for so long because it could be deadly can provoke a lot of anxiety. And because of that, CHOP formed actually a clinic for these children called the Food Allergy Bravery Clinic, or FAB, which I think is a fun name. And that is a clinic that has this interdisciplinary care between allergists and psychologists to help children with food allergies overcome any mental health concerns that they have related to those food allergies and their treatment. And Mm -hmm. this is a really... um, really important population to consider. So I'm glad that you brought that Mm -hmm. up. We have about a minute left in this segment, but I wanted to start, uh, ask you a question about autism and where would you get started if that's a concern or if you think your child does, how would you go about? Yeah, so important because the new CDC report says that there's 2.8% of our population now of children with autism. Mm -hmm. So a great first stop is your pediatrician. They do screening, usually starting at 18 months and developmental assessments. If your pediatrician can't make a diagnosis, they may refer you to an autism diagnostic center or developmental pediatrician and also referrals to early intervention. It's really important if you have a concern, even if they don't have a diagnosis yet, to start doing that therapy. A resource that I like is paautism.org and also the CHOP Autism Integrated Care website have many resources um, on both of those sites for families. Let's repeat those sites when we come back after this break. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? 
At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're here with our guest, Dr. Katie Lockwood from Children's Hospital Philadelphia. Katie, we're talking about the need for a psychologist for little children who haven't started school yet. And we were talking about concerns with autism and how you go about it. And you mentioned two great websites that pa- parents could visit. What are they again, if you would? Sure. There's paautism.org and there's resources there for diagnostic testing, parent support groups, and other information. And then there's the CHOP Autism Integrated Care website. And we also have resources there as well as links for research studies that families can get involved in. And also if your child has autism, there's some videos there about preparing them for different healthcare experiences like getting an x-ray or a video EEG. And those can be great instructional videos to help decrease any anxiety that your child with autism might have about interacting with the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. I've heard it said that there is no ramp for people on the spectrum. They don't have crutches or wheelchairs, so it's not obvious that they need assistance. And I think we're all becoming more aware because of so many good programs. Now we're on to children of school age. What if your school doesn't have a psychologist and you have concerns? That's a great question because I wish every school had a psychologist. I think they're such a great resource for school-aged children, but unfortunately not every school can or does. So depending on the issue at hand, there may be other people at school who can help. So many schools will have a guidance counselor or what they call an SEL or social emotional learning teacher, and they can help with some things that are related to school like bullying or peer conflicts, or sometimes even school-related anxieties that children have. But if those teachers or counselors aren't available either, or the issue is sort of exceeding what their skill set allows for, then you would want to start looking for a community therapist. And this is something that you could talk to your pediatrician about. Many primary care pediatricians will know the landscape around where they work in terms of different psychologists who are available and who they've referred patients to in the past and can help make a referral. You can also go to a website called Psychology Today, and you can search based on where you are and what type of psychologist you're looking for. And so that's a great resource for families um, to use and, and search. And another last resort is that you can call on your insurance card. There should be a number there for behavioral health, and you can call your insurance directly and ask them who they cover within your network um, and who's local. And my guidance for families, because psychologists are in such high demand and there aren't enough we know to serve the community, the wait times can be long. So sometimes you're gonna wanna put your um, child on multiple wait lists so that Mm. you can cover your bases and then pull them off of whichever wait list they um, get off of first. That's such a great point. I I often tell patients or uh, friends or family members will call me and say, I can't get an appointment with a GI doctor or a cardiologist, whomever they need. So I'll say, take whatever they give you. If it's a three-month wait, take July or August. And then once a week, call and say, do you have any cancellations? 
because right. so often there are cancellations and they can't stop and go down the list every day. But that's where we are mm-hmm. with the backlog from COVID and short staffed across the country, et cetera. So that's really, that is really great advice. What mm-hmm. about a child in whom a teacher recognizes or a parent or caregiver is concerned about a learning disability? What's a good way to go about that? Right. So anytime a child isn't reaching their potential, you want to think about a learning disability. So in particular, these are children who have a normal IQ, but their performance isn't matching what you would expect for that IQ. And so uh, this can look many different ways. So some red flags are if a child is misbehaving at school, you might want to consider it Mm -hmm. if they seem bored. And a school-age child who doesn't like school is a big red flag for me because most kids do like school on a global sense. They may have their days where they don't, but a child who's not really engaged in school or someone who isn't reading or interested in reading. And then another would be a big mismatch in their grades by subject. So for example, if your child excels in math, but is really struggling in reading, that can be another um, flag that there could be a learning disability there. And this is a broad Mm -hmm. category. There are many different types of learning disabilities. People sort of anecdotally throw around the the term dyslexia as a catch-all, but you can have a learning disability that's just related to math or even an aspect of math um, or certain types of reading and not other types um, of English um, language arts. So it's really something that requires a specialized evaluation. So if you're worried, mm-hmm. you want to start by asking your school to do an evaluation. And this is a multidisciplinary team evaluation. It includes a psychologist who will do some of the evaluation, but also other members of the school, including teachers. And if you go to a private school or a Catholic school, you can still go to your local public school, wherever you would be districted to go and request the MDT eval through that public school. As a taxpayer, you're allowed to do that, even though you're not using the services of the school, but you can use that to get a diagnosis. Once a parent makes that request for an evaluation, the school should give them a form that's called the consent to evaluate form. It's really important that parents get that form and sign it because once they sign that, the school district then has 60 days to do their evaluation and give the family a report. And if there's anything in that report that's unclear to you as a parent, you should take that report to your pediatrician so that you can talk about any diagnoses or possible diagnoses that are suggested in that evaluation. So that form again is called the consent to evaluate. And then say if your child's in a Catholic school, you're invited to use the public school's facilities to have your child evaluated, and then your home-based school has 60 days to get the help your child needs? Or It's a little mm-hmm. tricky because the public school will do the evaluation and give you the report. But whether mm-hmm. or not your private or Catholic school follows the recommendations made in that report is up to the school. Public schools, by law, I have to give the services. So if they say your child has a learning disability, in reading and they qualify for reading support and a specialized curriculum, the public school would have to provide that. But private schools do not have to. It depends on the resources. The 60 days would be on the public school because they have the, I gotcha. Okay. Exactly. Um, yep. But but your private school may, and many private schools do have resources. They have reading support specialists and learning specialists that they mm-hmm. can use. And so if your school has those type of um, specialists available and psychologists sometimes at 
um, private schools, you can certainly ask them to do an evaluation. You may not have to go through your public school depending on what resources your school has. And I think when we talk about bringing in the help of a psychologist, I know when I have a medical problem in my family, I want my family member or friend to see somebody who does that issue all day, every day. A psychologist mm-hmm. can make such a difference, say for a child who has ADHD. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that. How commonly is that found? Um, and I guess you'd have to parse out too. Is a child not paying attention or saying they're bored because they have an emotional uh, upset because their parents are divorced or is it because they have a learning disorder? You would need a psychologist to work through that, yes? Right. There's so much overlap with ADHD symptoms and other diagnoses, as you mentioned, um, family stressors, but also learning disabilities, which we were just talking about, can look like ADHD. Anxiety and depression and autism can all look like ADHD. And so it's really important that you engage with a psychologist or a pediatrician to try to get this diagnosis. So roughly 10% of children have ADHD, boys more commonly than girls. And we also know that ADHD is undertreated. In a 2016 study that parents reported the prevalence of ADHD um, to the researchers, only 62% were taking medication and 47% were doing any type of behavioral treatment. And so not as many people are pursuing psychology type um, therapies for ADHD, but these can be really important, not only to help kids learn how to control some of their impulses um, and focus for school, but also things like what we call executive functioning, which is planning out activities. So parents often tell me in clinic, you know, I tell them in the morning, get up, brush your teeth, put on your clothes and come downstairs for breakfast. And then 20 minutes later, they are still in their room and wandering. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what they're doing? And so I always say those multi-step commands that you think are very simple. Brush your teeth, get dressed, come downstairs. That's a multi-step command. There's a lot of parts that you have to break down in between for a child. And it can take children with ADHD longer to be able to follow through those types of um, commands and systems. And a psychologist can really help a family put in supports, structural plans, and um, schedules that can help children with ADHD be successful. And again, Decreasing some of the tension and frustration within families can be really important for these children. Oh, sure. And that's why I'm sure psychologist works with pediatrician. The pediatrician is that long term. I've seen this child since infancy. I know the mom well or the dad, and they know the, the chessboard. The psychologist zeroes in and tries to establish, is this, as you say, an emotional distraction because there's arguing at home or mom's in the hospital, or is it because the child's just having trouble with executive uh, actions because function because they think their brain just can't uh, process it. But right. And either a psychologist or a pediatrician could diagnose ADHD. The way that we think about it is that you have to have dysfunction in two settings, which for children is typically home and school. Okay. And so we do things called the Vanderbilt questionnaire, which is a rating scale. There are others um, that sometimes psychologists use as well. And these scales help quantify 
how many symptoms are they having, where are they having them, and what degree are these symptoms impairing their performance, right? Because mm. if you if you are impulsive and you know hyperactive and distracted, but you're a straight A student and everything's going great at home, there's maybe not a problem. But if those things are starting to impact your grades and you're having a lot of conflict at home, then that's when it crosses into um, meeting criteria for ADHD. Your pediatrician, now, if the psychologist diagnosed it, the pediatrician is still important because, as you mentioned, there can be other things going on that can contribute similar symptoms. And so your pediatrician can do a clinical assessment to make sure that there's not an underlying condition or another cause like trauma, anxiety, or Mm -hmm. sleep dysfunction that might be contributing to these symptoms instead. Yeah, or like hyperthyroidism that could make the child really up and buzzing all the time. We want to talk about teenagers, too, because everybody, no matter what age, was affected by a big change in the rhythm of their daily routine with COVID. And we don't want to keep blaming that, but especially in COVID and post-COVID, if we are post-COVID, these poor children and teenagers who couldn't experience those developmental years of going to high school every day, making friends dealing with the mean girls and succeeding and getting past it or trying out for a team and making it or not making it. Where are we with teenagers? Yeah. Teenagers are still struggling. So anytime you see your child have a sudden change in things like their grades, their mood, their sleep, or their Mm. weight, um, or if they have any of these particular stressors that you just mentioned, or anytime they express any of these concerns to you, you might want to reach out to a psychologist to talk to them more about it. Let's catch up with that a little bit more after the break here on Your Radio Doctor. And now for Your Real Champion, I call this segment Hoops for Hope. Though the final game of the current series will soon be over, the Philadelphia 76ers will still be scoring points throughout the year. Since 2015, the Sixers Youth Foundation has been devoted to improving the lives of local youth in underserved neighborhoods throughout the greater Delaware Valley, including the city of Philadelphia, five counties in the suburbs, South Jersey, and North Delaware. The vision? to build communities where all children can pursue and realize their dreams and lead productive lives. The focus, middle school children, getting kids involved at an early age and directing them away from risky behavior. Using the power of basketball and the influence of the Sixers brand, the game plan includes a winning strategy. The foundation partners with over 20 other nonprofits, city agencies, and organizations in three pillars. First, delivering sports-based programming through grants and in-kind support. We all know what lessons can be learned on a court or a field. Learning to be a team player, disciplined in practice, showing up on time, and learning to accept wins and losses. Sports are fun, constructive, and a safe way to engage children and strengthen their social and emotional health. Secondly, academic enrichment. After-school programs include NBA math hoops, reading classes, might introduce kids to mentors, have sessions on anti-violence, and trips to museums, all aimed at strengthening a child's well-being and enhancing their academic development through equitable learning experiences. Third, 
creating safe play spaces. The foundation teams up with nonprofits and city agencies to renovate play spaces like schoolyards in South Philly, North Philly, and Northwest Philly. They also partner with a national organization that aims to preserve green spaces and nature, transforming the look and feel of neighborhoods while increasing access to safer parks, playgrounds, basketball courts, and areas of greatest need in local communities where fans live, play, and work. The Sixers Youth Foundation held their annual gala in January and raised over a million dollars, celebrating the team, fans, and the city, and most importantly, the work they do for children in need. Even during COVID, the foundation provided emergency support, including health, food, and educational resources for those families most impacted by the pandemic in local communities. So who's the coach of this all-star team of the Sixers Youth Foundation? Well, recently I had the good fortune to meet the executive director, Leslie Walker. In my book, Leslie should be in the Hall of Fame for Commitment because she's devoted her entire career to nonprofit work and says, helping children and families is what gets me up in the morning. It's Leslie and her staff who go into neighborhoods finding areas that are under-resourced where the foundation can make the most difference. Then she does the follow-up to be sure the project is evolving according to plan. And with Project 76, Leslie coordinates a schedule that has every staff member volunteering at least 76 hours a year, doing cleanup in parks or packing boxes in food pantries. The magic word is team. And basically, every time Leslie and the Sixers Youth Foundation takes a shot, it's a slam dunk. We salute you, Leslie Walker and the Sixers Youth Foundation, your REL champions. Friends, to learn more about the foundation or send a donation, visit the website SixersYouthFoundation.org. That's SixersYouthFoundation.org. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor with our guest, Dr. Katie Lockwood from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Katie, we were talking about teenagers and issues they might face where a psychologist would be a really good addition to their plan. 
I'm sure that children and teenagers, uh, kids of all ages have to go through facing bullies or disappointments. What are some of the classics where psychologists can help teenagers? Yeah, there's many different stressors in the life of a teen, and some might be related to family, as you mentioned, a death or divorce or moving, changing schools can be really hard. Mm. We also talked about concussion earlier, and I'd say anytime a teenager had been really involved in something like a sport um, or a club or activity, and then they can't do that for some reason, maybe it's due to their grades, or maybe they didn't make the team this year, or something happened like a concussion where they're not allowed to play anymore that can really impact their mood. And then the other big thing is sleep. We know that screens and sleep together are big issues for teenagers. And this can be an area where um, psychologists can play a really helpful role in trying to tease apart what's going on and how to improve their sleep hygiene in a way that sometimes parents struggle to do because teens, we know, don't always like to listen to their parents, but they might listen to a psychologist. I've had uh, many patients who the parents thought had ADHD or something else going on because their child was irritable and distractible and struggling with homework. And then a psychologist gets involved and it turns out that their sleep hygiene is really poor. And that not getting enough sleep makes such an impact in the rest of their next day that it can really impact school and home life. And having a psychologist work with them on ways to get more sleep, but also squeeze in all the things that they need to do after school, like their sport and homework can be helpful. Yeah. And I think we're asking so much of children these days, volunteer. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I look at the applications to students for medical school and some of them start doing research when they're six months old and they're concert pianists <laughs> and they're, and they're in the right. sport that they, they check every box. And I think, my gosh, these little babies never sleep. And you're right. It can really mm -hmm. change. It, it's a stressor in itself. But I think too, mm -hmm. um, I guess because my children were in high school, right, right when cell phones became available. So, all right, we're going to all stay in John's house. Well, how do you know if that's where they are if you're communicating right. via that portable phone? There's there's mm -hmm. no uh, peace in your mind that they are where they say, I mean, everybody came out okay. Right. But those kinds of things make it harder for parents to track. And vaping, all the things that these, mm -hmm. these teens have access to, and you worry about mm -hmm. addiction, not that every child or teenager, I should say, who tries out. But I mean, I remember yeah. reading about 15 years ago, the schools were starting to do random drug testing. And you say, yay, this is good. But what's the most common drug that teens have access to? Alcohol. It's not even listed. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that right. is incorporated now, but all the things floating around that make it so hard for, and that I guess that students can make decisions without telling their parents and teen pregnancy, all these things, where are we with some of these major issues? Yeah, there are so many things out there that are temptations and challenges for kids. I think many of them, though, are the same things that have been going on for a long time with maybe the added um, stressor of social media these days. And so it's really important for parents to set up some habits uh, for the family to try to protect against some of those stressors. So having um, a family media plan where maybe you talk about what our rules for, are for screen time and social media engagement. 
having some modeling of that, right? And not using our phones and screens all the time in front of them. And so doing things like a screen-free mealtime and eating together and having conversations. And I think opening up in front of your kids and asking them, you know, questions about their day, it can be a good way to just make kids feel like you're available to them. You'd be surprised how many of my patients tell me they feel like they can't talk to their parents because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. And so I always tell parents that you want to have rules and discipline, sure, but you also want them to feel like they can approach you when they want to talk about these things. So have a conversation about how do you say no to someone who's offering you drugs or alcohol when you don't want to do it? Let's role play that. Let's come up with some responses that you can have in your back pocket so that when you're facing that peer pressure, you're not having to come up with that um, excuse for the first time under the pressure of your friends, but we've already practiced it at right. home. So it's a, uh, it's a byline. My son used to say, <laughs> when somebody would say, let's do this. Or that, I said, Oh, my mom said I have to be home by six o'clock cause she needs the car mm-hmm. or whatever it is. He had a byline. Right. <laughs> all my kids rode uh crew. So mm-hmm. they all were on the river by five o'clock Saturday mm-hmm. morning. So they were home pretty early Friday nights, but there are, there are ways. Mm-hmm. And like you say, if you have contingency plans, it makes it so much easier for your kids. Um, So when it does come time uh, to needing extra help, what's the difference between needing the help of a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Yeah, this is tricky for a lot of people. So the, the simplest way of explaining it, I think, is that a psychiatrist can prescribe medication and a psychologist does therapy or counseling. Some psychiatrists will also do therapy or counseling, but only a psychiatrist can prescribe medication. They went to medical school versus psychologists often um, have a PhD or an LCSW type of a degree. Um, The psychiatrist can also help with diagnoses that are more neurodevelopmental or neuropsychiatric or things that are more complicated when there are multiple diagnoses happening, you might want to get a psychiatrist involved. So, you know, things like schizophrenia, bipolar, or PTSD might rise to the level of needing a psychiatrist to get involved in the diagnosis, but also because they're likely to need some medication as well. So many Mm -hmm. people will see a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and some will just need a psychologist. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you're faced with helping people make those decisions. Right. Sometimes we have to let patients know about which we think would be the most useful. And sometimes when you don't know, I'll have them pick a place where there's both available within that same site. So maybe they're starting with a psychologist, but I think maybe down the line they might need a psychiatrist. So go to a place that has both on staff so that you can have them work collaboratively collaboratively with each other. Mm -hmm. And again, I would think that if, uh, especially a teenager, um, is seeing a psychologist that at some point that the healthcare provider would want to see that, uh, young boy or girl interact with parents and siblings and bring the whole family in. Is that part of the process? Do you think usually? Sometimes there's many different types of therapy, and this is something that I've only learned recently. And, you know, it's, as you know, it's not something they really teach us in medical school right. much about. I just thought you refer to therapy, and it was a kind of all the same. Um, but come to learn that there are actually many different types of therapy. There's 
cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, parent-child interactive therapy. So there's different types depending on the therapist and what they've been trained to do, as well as what your diagnosis is. And so it's important to ask your pediatrician if they know what type of therapy you need. So for example, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is the most evidence-based therapy for anxiety. And so if you have anxiety, you really should see a, a psychologist who does CBT and request that. It's unfortunate sometimes when when families don't know and they end up with a therapist who's maybe not doing the right type of therapy for the diagnosis they have. And so checking with your pediatrician can be helpful, but also when you call to schedule that appointment, you want to give them as much information up front as you can so they can make sure they match you with the type of therapist that you need for your condition. And I'm sure that you would get reports from a psychologist. And as you say, just like with a little child, you check at 18 months to look for signs of autism or symptoms, I guess, symptom signs, mm -hmm. um, that if one of your teens is going to a psychologist, you get feedback and be able to ask the, the teenager and his or her parents, are, are you making progress and, and pull the teen aside? At what age would you say you um, say talk to a teenager by themselves? Like mom or dad might bring them 14, 15, mm -hmm. or? We start when you become a teenager, so 13, although the conversation I have with 13-year-olds is a little bit different than the conversation I have with 17-year-olds, mm -hmm. and it's always developmentally based. So how kind of far in their development and puberty are they and what sort of things. At CHOP, we actually have um, an adolescent health screener that our teenagers do on a tablet when they get to the waiting room. And it's great because it asks a lot of these mental health questions, but also some you know, social questions that help us pinpoint the things that the teen wants to talk about and highlights areas where there might be a concern that we want to dig into deeper. So that can be a great way because teens will disclose more on a tablet that they, than they will verbally to you, especially when you've just met them, if you don't have an ongoing relationship with them. So that can be a great way you know, questionnaires can um, elicit a lot from teens. But yeah, we talk to them alone. And your point about collaborating with psychologists, I wish the system worked as well as you described. We don't always hear from psychologists in the community. Um, it's not always bi-directional, but you can sign release forms to have your mental health provider and your pediatrician talk to each other. And it's great when that happens so that we can collaborate and co-manage conditions. I did a visit the other day where a family had their um, counselor on FaceTime. And so oh. with you know the family's consent, we were able to have that therapist join the visit. And it's great when we can all be on the same page and make sure that we're all getting the same information. And that was one of my questions that, that yeah. I love. If, if people don't learn anything else from you today, how do you eke that information out of a teenager who might not be super open because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want, they're, they're ashamed or they're frightened of, for some reason, the tablet lets them go. It's just like mm -hmm. when I, you know, my three or four year old would come home after school and I'd say, who, how was school today? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Who'd you sit with nobody? But if I pick up and I have Andrew, my son in the car with Lindsay, did he punch you? Yeah, he punched me too. And that's where you hear it. And so maybe mm -hmm. the tablet is that, that uh, carpool kind of method. Before That's we true. break for the uh, next segment, 
tell us, if you will, and we can bring it into the next segment about Healthy Minds, Healthy Kids, the Healthy Minds, Healthy Kids program at CHOP. Yeah, this is a fantastic program at CHOP, which is an integrated model, meaning that we have psychologists and psychiatrists who are integrated into our primary care clinics. They're not in every clinic yet, but that's our goal. And so many of our clinics have psychologists on site and then on certain days also a psychiatrist. And in this case, it is that dream model that I mentioned where there is collaboration. We can see each other's medical records. We message each other. We sit next to each other in the office and can talk about patients. And so there really is an integrated um, care model where we're working together to meet the needs of our patients, both medically and in terms of their, their mental health, their physical health. And so it's a great model that we hope to continue to expand to provide that service to our patients and their families. That's absolutely wonderful. And I think people often hear about CHOP and think, boy, if my child's really sick, I'll take him or her there. But your primary care reach has extended so much. I know my new little granddaughter at her, let me see, four-day-old visit, uh, we went to the um, CHOP Center in uh, Downingtown, Westchester. Wonderful visit. And uh, I think it's important for people to know, don't wait until your child really has a problem. Get a second opinion with a primary care doc at Children's Hospital. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up with Dr. Katie Lockwood. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, my name is Bobby Bunyan, CEO of Recovery Centers of America at Bracebridge Hall, and for today, I'm your addiction expert from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about overcoming addiction. Addiction is uh, often a lifelong process that requires a combination of professional assistance, self-motivation, support from loved ones. There's a number of different approaches to addiction recovery, and what works for any one person may not work for another. Uh, some of the common steps and strategies that people use to overcome addiction include, first and foremost, acknowledging the problem, the first step to overcome addiction is, you know, acknowledging that there is a problem in the first place, uh, which is not always easy, but it's definitely a necessary process. Next will be to seek help. There's many resources available for people that are struggling with addiction, including support groups, counseling, and addiction treatment programs like the one we have here at Recovery Centers of America. You also want to develop a support system. Having a supportive network of friends and family members can make the difference in overcoming addiction. And lastly, you know, we need to address the underlying issues. Addiction is often a symptom of underlying issues such as trauma, depression, anxiety, stress, and addressing these issues is going to be a key component um, in ultimately overcoming Overcoming the addiction itself. Um, remember, recovery is a process. Setbacks are normal. It's important to be patient with yourself and to seek help when it is needed. If you or a loved one needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you.
to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. This is Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Dr. Katie Lockwood, I always learn so much when we have these conversations about topics in pediatrics. Let's talk about uh, going back to Healthy Minds, healthy, the Healthy Kids program, the best way to communicate. I've learned so much from our office psychologists about communication. And you mentioned before that sometimes it's really hard to get your teens or really any age child to open up to you. And I think every parent knows that experience of saying, like, how was school today? And you just get fine, good, and you don't really <laughs> learn too much. And so I asked one of our HMHK psychologists about how I could get my child to tell me more. And she said, you could ask something like, I'm wondering what you did at recess today and just sort of put it out there and then see how they respond. And so I was saying this to my son for a few days in a row every day. I'm wondering what you did at recess today. And he would answer. (laughs) But then after a few days, he was like, mom, why are you wondering about recess so much? So I learned (laughs) that you should vary your questions a little bit more. But so instead of saying, how was school today? I encourage families, you know, after talking and learning from our HMHK psychologist to ask open-ended questions, but make it specific enough. It's hard to just recall their whole day. Like, what do you want to know about mom? I did a million things today. So I'll say things like, what was funny today? Or tell me what book you were reading in your English class. Or again, what did you do at recess? Who did you play with? Mm -hmm. What did your friend have for lunch? These are very specific questions that will get your kids starting. And once you open that door, then they start talking to you more. But you just need to have an open line. Right. And you make a good point because we all have so many squirrels chasing so many carrots in our brains. And you might ask me what I had for breakfast. I can't remember. But if you say, did you have one of the leftover eggs in the refrigerator? Mm -hmm. Then it all comes back. (laughs) So prevention is the best way to stay ahead of all conditions, not always, but mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. said, eating meals as a family. I, I can remember with if one of my children had Girl Scouts or a sport after school, the other two would come home a little bit early and I put out a tray of veggies mm-hmm. and then dip and then either play or do a little homework. But we always sat down, even and that's when you see that little droopy face when you say, Oh, how was your day? And two are smiling and one mm-hmm. is not. Tell us about Mm -hmm. some other ways to keep, we talked about limiting screen time, Mm -hmm. prevention. Mm -hmm. Right. Eating meals together as a family without screens. So put those screens down. Exercise and outdoor time. So take a walk, walk the family dog, right? Throw a ball in the yard, um, take a bike ride. These are great ways to both get your exercise, but also a little exposure to nature. And again, without screens being around, you can open up conversation more with your child. Another big part of prevention of mental health is sleep, as we mentioned. Um, So making sure they're getting consistent bedtimes, removing screens before bedtime, um, and keeping that sleep schedule as consistent as possible from night to night. And then um, talking, so we talked about communication, talk about things like substance use, mental health, decreasing the stigma, talk about bullying, just make these open conversations that don't feel taboo, that let your child know that you are there for them and supporting them and be honest about some of the challenges of dealing with some of these issues. And then lastly, I would say modeling, 
behaviors are really important whenever we talk about parenting anything. So I tell parents to model their own coping skills, right? Everyone faces anxiety and stress in their life. How do you handle it? So I model this in clinic all the time for my patients and just say things like, man, I was so stressed. I was going to be late for work today. The traffic was awful. And I was starting to have my heart race and I was getting sweaty. But you know what? I took a few deep breaths and I said, no matter what, you will get to work. Everything will be okay. And then reflect back on it later. And you know what? Here I am. Right. So model those coping skills. And better to arrive alive 30 seconds late than, <laughs> than be on time and be dead. Uh, that's just yeah. an old Greek adage, I guess. <laughs> Dr. Katie Lockwood, thank you so much, as always, for sharing your time and wisdom. And people are so much better off from, from listening to you tonight. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me for this important topic. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday afternoon at five here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Once the show airs, it's posted on odyssey.com so you can listen again or listen if you missed it at five o'clock. Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com or wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to our sponsors. Always grateful for the support of Independence Blue Cross, Recovery Centers of America, and Genentech. I'd also like to offer a special thank you to our faithful listeners. Because of your support, our audience continues to grow and reach people who truly benefit from the information provided by our guests. Now, here's your homework for this week. Number one, please follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Then please share our posts so others can listen. Number two, remember you can listen to any show any champion, or any segment on addiction prevention by downloading our show, which is available on odyssey.com. Or number three, visit our website, yourradiodoctor.net. Every show is posted along with information about each guest, how you might make an appointment to see them, and information about each champion. To make it more helpful, we're going to start posting information from each show, such as websites, the guest offers to read more about a particular topic. And the big news? In the future, we'll be announcing the topic for upcoming shows and invite you to send questions about the topic in advance so we can answer them on the air. You can message us at any time. Tell us about a champion, a topic you'd like to hear about. Send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Info at yourradiodoctor.net. Join us next week for the return of Dietitian extraordinaire Emily Rubin from Jefferson will be discussing fad diets and setting the record straight on all those diets trending on social media. And now, remember, next Sunday, May 14th is Mother's Day. You have a week to prepare a little thank you for your mother, grandmother, your wife, or maybe a special person in your life who nurtured or supported you in a motherly way. Those two words, thank you, go a long way. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre recorded.
I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 